Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Changing it up a little bit today, as you saw from the program title, I have invited John Barrows to join me. Uh, and the reason that I want to invite John to join is, in my experience, there is this common question around where should sales development be? And I want to talk about that with him today. And I also want to talk about sales enablement. You know, we in marketing are buying so many tools and technologies, and those tools very often cross over into um, the sales organization. And so, John, uh, if you don't know John, he is the founder uh, and runs J. Barrows Consulting. They are a sales training and consulting firm. And, you know, what's interesting is is John and I both have a degree in marketing. And for any of you who've read my book, you know that I did about five or six years in sales. After that, John has spent his entire career in sales, and he's been an entrepreneur. So I thought it'd be great for John to join me on the program so that we can talk about these two different functions and um, alignment-related issues and that. So without further ado, let me just say, hey, John, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining me. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to this conversation. I think the the whole sales and marketing divide is one that I've seen for 20 years, uh, you know, coming out of school and still seeing it today. So hopefully we can maybe answer a few questions here or there. Absolutely. And thank you. And and hey, if you are uh, tuning into Demand Gen Radio and you are in sales, um, be sure to check out John's podcast. Make It Happen is the name of his podcast and um, some great tips and guests that he has on the program. So it's always nice to have a fellow podcaster on. So let's do this. Um, John, you train, you offer a couple different courses, and um, maybe you could just talk a little bit about the type of training that you find is needed today in sales. Um, I always love when you have shared with me that, you know, there's no degree in sales, right? You got a degree in marketing. There is still no degree in sales. So to really perform and and get good at um, sales, you got to have experience and you got to get trained. So talk a little bit about the training that you're doing these days, and then let's fold that into this conversation around uh, SDRs. Yeah, I mean, there's actually, you know, I, I, I try to stay up to date on this. There's actually now 70 universities uh, in the U.S. that out of the four over 4,000 that there are, there's over seven, there's about 70 of them that you can actually get a degree in sales, whether it's a minor or a major. Um, so it's finally starting to become a profession. But to your point, you know, it's the default profession. People go and get their degree and, you know, like I got mine in marketing and whatever else. And either realize either A, they don't want to do it or, or B, they can't make enough money doing it. And so they get into sales. Sales. And there's really limited training when they get into sales. It's usually, hey, here's your territory, here's your quota, go. And you know that's why sales has such a bad uh, rap, by the way, or perception, because you know you give a 22 year old kid a quota and say go, and no real direction. They're going to do some unnatural things to make their quota so that they can get paid and they can keep their job. So that's why they do kind of the the tricks and stuff like that to get through to people. And so. What I try to do is after 22 years of selling at this point and learning a lot and making a lot of mistakes and getting my education through, you know, the obvious school of hard knocks um, is share a lot of that with the reps so that hopefully they can start with a solid foundation and do sales right from the beginning. Um, Because I always say sales when done right, it's the greatest profession in the world. When done wrong, it's the worst. Yeah. 
And so let's try to do it right. And so, you know, my training is I, I got two main programs. One of them is filling the funnel, which is all about, you know, mainly outbound prospecting, cold calling, email, messaging, social selling, all that stuff. And then the other is uh, driving a close, which is, you know, once you have that conversation, what do you do with it? Negotiation, objection, handling, closing. Yep. So, um, so yeah, you know, and, it, and I try to your point of, of what should they be learning? Um, you know, I think. I think structure is important. I think structure and technique are important. That That's where really I, I hang my hat on to say, you know, I, I don't need some huge long methodology or need to understand a, a theory about selling. I need to know, like, what can I literally do today to make a difference? And so that's really where a lot of this training comes from is tactical execution, things that they can do at every stage of the sales process to drive results. Cool. Well, let's talk about that filling the funnel aspect from the the SDR. I want to start there. So let me tell you a little bit a story that I have not uh, shared with you. So when I was running marketing at Ellie May, this is circa you know two thousand three, um, we were launching a new service, and to launch that new service, I was given the opportunity in marketing to build um, at that time. I'm going to call it a tele-team, a bunch of telemarketers, and um, put a team together to go out and launch that new service. And I was really fortunate to do so because it, it springboarded so much for me. A, uh, I was able to bring in Salesforce because we didn't have Salesforce when I got to LMA. We had another CRM, and I couldn't connect it to our marketing automation system, and it was it was horrible. So this was the open door for me to not only get uh, a tele-team in marketing to go out and, and help with the go-to-market strategy of this new service, but we deployed Salesforce to them, and we hooked our marketing automation system to them, and we did some really progressive things in terms of um, alert systems so that they knew when these prospects were sitting at their desk based on their digital body language and activity on the website. However, we could talk a lot more about that. Here's the thing. I didn't, John, know what the heck to do. I had a career in sales. I knew how to sell, and I had certainly worked with sales leaders plenty. But in terms of onboarding an SDR team, which is really what they what they um, were initially, now we allowed them to go all the way to close, but their main uh, you know, was to book appointments and open the door. And I was really successful with it. I mean, we generated $400,000 of revenue in the first quarter with this brand new team. And, you know, we're heroes at the board meetings uh, in marketing for doing so. And I got, you know, religious about wanting to have this type of function within, let's call it the, the demand gen team, meaning sales and marketing. However, um, that's an unnatural act, I think, how that started. So I'd like you to share what you're seeing, because you work and work with some amazing companies like Box, LinkedIn, Salesforce, a lot of the big brands, great, very high-growth companies here in Silicon Valley. First question is, um, what, what recommendations would you give to sales and marketing teams around where that SDR function should be? And then question two, and I'll let you riff for a while, is... You know, what do you need to do to prepare to make sure that you're going to be successful adding this function if it doesn't already exist in your company? Yeah, so I think it's important to kind of identify the the model, if you will, in the sense of what does SDR really mean, right? Because in in a lot of cases, you know, the acronyms that fly around specific, specifically in the tech world are pretty hysterical. And, you know, there's the same rule called 75 different things, all the different acronym. But, you know, the way I look at it is there's, there's two really types of SDRs. There's the inbound SDRs and then the outbound SDRs, right? Uh, or as Salesforce kind of delineates them, SDRs are the inbound 
ones that take the inbound qualified leads that marketing generates. And then the, uh, the BDRs are the ones that actually make the outbound cold calls into target accounts. Um, so those two are important to delineate. And also it depends on what you're, you're, what you're selling and what your average ACV is and, and you know, what your sales cycle length is. So those two things are big factors in how, when, and why you should start an SDR team. Uh, the easy answer for SDR teams is it, it, the inbound one is where that one should sit. I, I firmly believe that should sit under marketing because they're following up with the marketing leads. And so marketing should be responsible for, you know, the MQL, SQL. I think that conversation should be over, by the way, is like what's an what's a marketing qualified lead versus a sales qualified lead. I think it should just be mm-hmm. what is a what is you know where does it go to from an opportunity standpoint and who who brings it to that level, right? So from a marketing you know, driving inbound leads and having a rep follow up on those, a lot of that really is just about follow through process structure. You know, you don't have to be, you know, super sales skilled, if you will, to to really follow up on those people who are saying, hey, I'm kind of interested in what you're saying there. Now, a lot of companies, what they'll do is they'll grow up with that inbound marketing lead gen engine that drives those inbound leads and they have those, you know, inside sales reps taking those. And then all of a sudden they kind of hit that, what I call the inflection point where they got to start going outbound or they have to start going up market to mid market and enterprise. That's really where you start to look at the outbound function. And the challenge I see a lot of companies, those companies you mentioned that I work with like Salesforce, LinkedIn Box, they have the luxury of being at the size where they can segment every single role and be hyper-focused with each one of those roles. But most companies don't have that luxury, so they have to kind of combine the rules. So usually what happens is the, you know, the inbound rep starts to say, okay, now we have to start having them go outbound. And that's just such a different muscle. Right. I mean, my experience is uh, if you tell uh, an inbound rep who's been doing inbound lead follow-up and that type of thing to, to start doing outbound, if they've been doing inbound for a year or so or two years or something like that, and then you tell them to go outbound – like they'll chase the the shittiest Gmail like scored lead on the planet before and follow up with that before they will make a cold call to a client that's never heard of them before. Sure. Just because it's again, it's not that it's just such a different muscle, if you will. Um, so that's why I actually think the outbound lead gen, the ones who are cold calling into accounts, those actually I think should fall under sales because that's the real feeder system for sales. Um, to kind of grow up. I personally like growing my sales team. I don't like buying sales reps kind of mid-level from the industry type of stuff. You know, again, depending on the stage of your company where you're at, but I like to get reps in and and get them to know, okay, here's how to, you know, cut your teeth on this, learn the pitch, learn how to engage, learn how to deal with objections, and then graduate to being more of a, you know, an AE, whether that's over the phone or in person. So I, I think my preference is, you know, inbound SDRs report under marketing and are there, whereas outbound SDRs are more or BDRs are more under sales and operate in, in, in that track that way. But things are evolving. And yep. I think, it, again, it really depends on a lot of the different factors of what you sell, who you sell to and how fast you want to grow as well. So let's take the the SDR inbound aspect, because, you know, all of our clients are, you know, we we teach them the methodologies around lead management and certainly account-based marketing. And so that MQL, that scored lead that should have follow-up, you know, I, I, I think we share a similar view, let me know, um, which is I would rather have an SDR following up on an MQL and doing some 
qualification, additional qualification to really vet the MQL and to do some level of appointment setting or, or booking. And I could see that function absolutely, as you say, in marketing to really um, create a, a much tighter alignment right there. I also see it successfully um, in sales in certain organizations. I think it depends a lot around the the leadership there. So, yeah. so is, is it destined for success or failure if it's not under marketing? No, actually, I think it's destined. I, I think it's more destined for success based on where things are going. Because if you follow um, challenger sale and all that stuff, and how they talk about by the time somebody comes to us, they're already sixty to seventy percent of the way through the sales process. If you kind of follow that logic there, um, which you know is whether the data is right or not, and sixty seventy percent, who knows? But uh, you know, they're not brand cold. It's somebody who knows a little bit about you and has already done some due diligence. It's not like they just stumble across your website and was like, oh, cool. What's yeah. this? Let me fill out a form. <laughs> um, so so they, they're already pretty far down. And and the last thing that you want as somebody who's already done your homework and already kind of knows what you're looking at and have read some of the brochures or whatever it is, the last thing you want is some 22-year-old kid wet behind the ears asking bant questions, right? So it's kind of the analogy I use here is like, you know, you got your phone, you got your Verizon or whatever, your cable, right? And, and you got a problem with it. So you go, you do the basics, you reboot it and you do those things. And then you call into the 1-800 number. And you get some, you know, somebody who's asking you a bunch of base, real basic questions, you know, did you do this? Did you do that? And you spend like a half an hour with them, you know, explaining to them what your problem is. And then they inevitably get to the point where they're like, okay, well, now I got to uh, bring in a specialist here who can, who can really, because we have to elevate this to either managers or a technical assistants. And then you get on the phone with that person and they're like, oh, how can I help you? And it's now you're pissed because you're like, wait a minute, that kid didn't even take any notes. Like there was no transition here. So I don't want to talk to that that 22 year old kid if I already know what I'm talking about, because they don't bring a lot of value to it, at least, you know, in, in the general sense at that age with that limited knowledge of the product. So I actually think that the inbound sales, uh, the inbound SDR is going to elevate quite a bit in the future. I think it's going to actually going to turn more under customer success and in, in marketing slash operations because all these tools and technologies that are out there, you know, the cadence tools and the follow up tools like you can easily I could automate it right now where as soon as you I, I actually do when you hit my website and you fill out a form, there's an automatic email that goes out that says, thank you so much for your time here. Um, here's a link to my calendar. Uh, could you please fill out this additional form here? And I call it the meeting efficiency survey. And it's all the qualification stuff that a typical SDR would do. And I skip that whole step. And then they schedule it on my calendar. I have this full sheet that comes to me in the meeting invite that has all the information that I need to know. So I can skip all that stuff and get really you know, down to what the client wants to talk about. So you know, without that in place, without that automation in place, there's a people that, you know, people can be put in there to really help guide the conversation and and help them through and not really close them or sell them, but really help educate them. And so that's why I think it's it's really going to elevate and fall under marketing and, and be a lot more uh, of a stable position and less of a, you know, six month entry position. Because it's just, to me, it just makes too much sense not to move in that direction with all the artificial intelligence, BI tools, and that type of stuff. Like, you need to know how to leverage that information so that when that person comes to you, especially that super qualified, you know what I mean? The one that's in the market, they've hit the website five times, they, they, they've submitted the form, they're in that stage. Like, the last thing you want to do is lose that fish on that line. So you need somebody who knows what they're talking about to be able to address those. Let me ask you 
If you were to give a couple key tips to a head of demand generation or wherever this SDR team is going to report to, what would you prescribe in terms of some tips for success? If it's a brand new SDR function and they're going to be hiring, what first step should they take before they actually hire anybody? Uh, structure, structure, and more structure. Um, I, I can't say it enough. I, I, it's, here's an example. I, it blows me away that right now the SDR AE, right? So the SDR AE relationship, um, there's, no, there's many of these companies that I work with that have that model where it's like one SDR to three AEs or something like that. Yep. It absolutely blows me away that there's no standard operating procedure for how an SDR should work with their AE, how the meeting should be run on a weekly basis, how the handoff should work. Like there's no industry standard, which absolutely drives me crazy because you're asking a 22 year old kid to manage three relationships with three senior AEs who are all have different likes and dislikes. And usually, you know, some care way more than others and work with their SDR. So like, so I get back to the fact that like the fact that there's no structure there blows me away. So leaning back before I would even hire anybody, I would put down some structure of exactly what does a marketing qualified lead look like? How far does it have to go down from a qualification standpoint before you flip it over? What's the documentation process so that when that transition gets made, it's smooth between the reps. And also there's an audit trail there. So if the AE comes back and says, hey, you know, this is a shit lead or whatever it is, that there's some documentation there that that, you know, poor SDR can look, point back to and say, uh, what do you mean it was a shit lead? You know, just because it didn't have every aspect of Bant checked off doesn't mean it's a shit lead. You know, what frustrates me a lot of times is AEs, they get, you know, a lot of AEs get really lazy and, you know, they're like, oh, that was a crap lead when, you know, yeah, there might not have been a specific budget for that exact thing, but they were interested, they had a need for it, and, or there wasn't a timeline or it wasn't the exact person, you know, who was making the decision. A lot of times those leads get kicked back because they're, they were too difficult to, to work with as an AE because I actually had to, holy shit, sell. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so if there's not a documented process for that, and if there is an absolute crystal clear expectations about what certain things mean, then it creates this disconnect between the organizations and then usually resentment as well. So what I would really nail down is, you know, the definitions of MQL versus SQL, if that's still what we're doing, um, what the handoff process looks like, what the contact strategy should be for different types of leads. Um, I personally like to tear out my leads. So not only based on like how many times they're on a website, but you know, you marry that to the ideal customer profile and you say, okay, here's our tiered out accounts. We got our tier ones, tier twos, and tier threes based on the demographic profile information, not just, you know, size and industry, but like some nuanced stuff there about, you know, what industries are they, or what, uh, what technologies do they use? Uh, who's the competition in there and really honing in on that true, true ICP. Cause that to me is where everything stems from. And once you nail that down, then it's like, okay, what's the personas look like who we're supposed to talk to? Then when this type of thing happens, what is the cadence that we put them through? And what is the expectation of the rep um, from a creativity standpoint? You don't want to turn them into template monkeys where all they're doing is just cranking out templates because then there's no purpose in actually having a rep to do that, right? You can do that better with Marketo, Eloqua, Pardot, you know, Demand Gen, you name it, right? Pick any one of those solutions. And so... How do you put it in a position where the rep has to put a little bit of thought into it to put the context around it? And that's, you know, kind of the big connecting tissue that I see between sales and marketing is context versus content. You know, marketing is content, sales is context. 
And so what aspects of the content can you automate so that a rep doesn't need to actually have to do that versus where a rep should get engaged because it's that high quality of an account and they have to do a little bit of homework before sending out that email. You know, I'll give you a a quick example. Like the white paper, the white paper email drives me nuts. The, 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 Hey, I saw you download our white paper. I'd like to talk to you about your 2018 priorities. Now we can help you achieve your goals. Like that to me, the fact that you have a sales rep sending that out when somebody downloads a white paper blows my mind. Like why in the world do I need to pay a human being to do that? So I think a lot of it should be automated to a point where they show real engagement and then the rep needs to be inserted into the part where the, the human element is, is critical to, to, to make that connection. Um, so going back to your original question, structure, process, and, and clear expectations and, and an audit trail of, of the process so you can split test and measure along the way to see what's working and what's not too. Great advice. And I, I want to reinforce the point. And I, you know, it was a setup because, A, I didn't know what you would answer, but I, I trust your um, expertise to give the answer. So many marketers, when they get pressured to add this function into the department, it's it's um, ready, fire, aim. There is no documentation. There is no process. They barely have the right job description together for the SDR. And yeah. they start hiring and they bring them in and they wonder why some of these folks don't succeed because they haven't been well prepared and well onboarded. And onboarded, you know, let's let's make sure that there's a difference between orientation and onboarding. Orientation is what might happen the first couple of days to bring them into the company, but onboarding can last months and to really have that plan in place so that these guys know how to, you know, follow process, how to work with the AEs, how to use the CRM system, how to use any of the sales enablement tools that's provided to them. This is not this is this is a full contact sport and requires as much work and support by the marketing organization to this team as it does to any other members of your of your marketing team, whether that's the content producers. And we can't, these are not set it and forget it people, just the opposite. Constant, constant support, uh, training, coaching, and, and monitoring. And I just, I never see, I, I too often see that um, lack of process and documentation preparation. And then they wonder why it's not successful. And then sales says, that's because it should be in the sales team and not the marketing team. And no, it was, it was failed from the beginning. Yeah. And, and it's the same, like, again, going back to that, that, that handoff between sales and marketing, that's rarely documented. You know what I mean? So the, the, the processes and the structure, if they're not in place, you're destined to fail. Um, you can throw as many people as you want at it, but you know, without that, um, by the way, without that documented process and without that continuous, like onboarding, not just the, like you said, you know, not just the first couple of weeks, but literally through their, through the first 365, right is what does that look like to help them develop and nurture? Because an interesting stat uh, that I saw um, Trish Bertuzzi and the Bridge Group come out with some really great data, and they just came out with like a a full and brand new report with all sorts of awesome data on it. Um, And one of the things that was fascinating to me was the, the transition from SDR to AE and the success ratio. And the stat was that if an SDR transitions to an AE in less than six months, the failure rate is something I think it was like 60% failure rate, right? So when that, when that SDR becomes an AE, they fail 60% of the time. Whereas if they stay in that role, like up to a a 180 day or or, yeah, no, it was actually a year and a half. So if they stay uh, 18 months, 
the success rate, the, the failure rate was something like 7%. So, but, you know, so that, I mean, that's obvious, right? Because the more you're in that career, the more you learn and all that other stuff. But the thing is, you wonder, well, why are these reps so, so eager? You know, everybody gives millennials crap, especially SDRs where, you know, they're in a job for six months and they, they're, they're constantly asking, hey, when am I going to get promoted? When am I going to get promoted? Well, what, what would you do if you came into my organization and all I told you was to crank out template emails all day long and push a button like a robot and, and, and drone through meaningless cold calls? It, you know what I mean? Just to catch it. Like, I'd want to be out of there in two, three, four, five months at myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? But if you make the job interesting and you bring them as part of the process and you show them, you know, what that structure is and you give them the tools to play within that structure – now, all of a sudden, you got some kid who's going to learn and stay and, and grow. And, you know, I actually think I wrote a blog post a little while ago when I hired a millennial. I hired a Morgan Ingram and, you know, he's 25 years old and we're working together to figure out the generational divide because we see a huge challenge with a lot of the clients we work with. And I keep coming back to what the answer is, is, is especially with the younger generation is structure. And my whole thing on this is, you know, when I grew up, when you and I grew up, right, when we were in the house and bored, when, you know, our parents were like, just get out of the house and just go figure something out. Like, go play in the street. I don't give a shit. Just be home by dinner, right? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and so we had to figure it out. So what did I do? I went and played in the street. I burned some shit down, whatever it is, but I was always back by dinner, right? And so, but these kids today, and I see this with my daughter now, every minute of their lives is structured. You know, they go from school to this hour to this hour, then they have soccer practice from this hour to this hour, then they have, you know, they get to play with their iPad for 30 minutes, and then they do this for their, you know, so every minute of their lives is structured. And then they get out into the real world, and you have guys like you and me saying, hey, figure it out. And they look at you sideways, like, what are you talking about, figure it out? Tell me what to do. And, and the default reaction from us is, uh, here's a script, here's a template. Because I, I got to control the message and, and you don't know what you don't know. So just do that. And that's that's terrible because yeah. you give again, you give a 22 year old kid a script or a template and tell them that's how they hit their quota. And that's what they're going to do. But if you give them structure now, all of a sudden you start to see some cool stuff because, look, I'm guessing the same thing with you. With me, you put structure on me. I don't like it. Like I try to break it. I'm like, nah, there's got to be a better way of doing this. Right. I like building structure. I don't like being in structure. Now, these kids, though, these kids thrive within structure and they'll execute within structure better than you and I ever would. So to me, that's the answer. Expectation setting, structure, process, not scripts, not scripting it out, not putting together a generic cadence that takes a button, but some structure in there about what happens when and then allowing them to play within that and then test it and analyze it and use the tools to have fun with it. Now, all of a sudden, you got something that can actually make a difference. Yeah, I mean, you, you have brought up so many points that you you mentioned quickly. I would like to come back to a couple of them. This sure. this last one you're talking about, structure, though, is you got to be a coach, you know, and a coach doesn't tell someone exactly how to run the lane. You know, it sets them in a direction and gives them coaching on the skills uh, and, and techniques for finishing or reaching a milestone. And, and, you know, I think millennials get a bit of a bad rap. I mean, if I'm using my daughters huh? and some of the kids I know around their age, Here's what's going on in my mind. There is so much access to information these days. You can always be learning, uh, and you should always be learning. So when they want a, another challenge, they want something else put on their plate, that request for promotion that you said, a request, it's a cry for more responsibility because they want to sponge up 
in life as much as they can learn, as much uh -huh. as they can do, and have the most accomplishment and success because they watch their parents work their butts off. So I don't, in my experience, a lot of the millennials that I'm very close to and have had very you know close conversations with, it's not about them feeling they deserve more. It's they want more. They want as much challenge as we're willing to throw at them. And, you know, a lot of companies, I don't think here in Silicon Valley, but a lot of companies out there have a bit of a box around your role and responsibilities. And millennials don't thrive in that environment. They thrive in environments where they have unlimited growth potential, unlimited access to learning and coaching, and the ability to perform at the highest levels. Um, and if you don't have a millennial on your team that's like that, then maybe you just have the wrong person. But I don't think we can stereotype because I'm seeing some really high performers um, in that in that demographic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I think they execute within structure better than ever. But without given direction, my experience is they tend to fall apart. <clears throat> so they tend to just kind of sit there and they do a bunch of random shit that doesn't really do anything because they don't know any better. Right. right. So, so I think that's what our job is, is to give structure, point them in the right direction, set expectations correctly, and then keep monitoring and giving feedback along the way so that they understand where they stand as opposed to just being like, all right, good luck. Um, and you know, sink or swim type of an approach and that, cause that doesn't work anymore. I mean, for me, look, when you gave, when I was 22 years old, you gave me a territory, you, you know, I got into sales. It was give me my territory. Tell me how much money I can make and get the hell out of my way, please. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't need to be here at the office. I don't need, you know, I don't need to, you know, parties or any of that crap. Um, so it, it really, you know, it was a different world. Now it's, I, I got to feel part of this. I, I, you know, I need to feel how I fit into this equation. And if I don't understand how I fit into this equation here, then it, I'm going to go find somebody someplace else where I can fit into that equation. Nice. Well, hey, listen, I, I'm going to make a suggestion. I'm going to suggest that you and I do a series together because I think we, 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 we could have even gone a little deeper on the whole SDR function. Um, but I don't think we have enough time to really do sales enablement technology justice. Um, mm -hmm. and more about the alignment of sales and marketing. So maybe we just do just that and wrap this episode. What do you think, John? Sure. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm happy to come on as long as you want. I, I'll, I'll talk for days about this type of stuff because super passionate about it. And, and I think, um, like I said, you know, when you get it right, it makes just such a difference. And, and so many companies I see out there are struggling to try to figure out the answers. Um, and there isn't one answer for everybody, obviously, but you know, some, some of that structure and, and having these type of conversations, hopefully can get a few people to, to put the pieces in place that'll, that will actually make the difference and that will help us make that alignment, um, more effective. And also, you know, obviously end goal is, is engage and communicate with the client in the most effective way so that we can make that, you know, make that connection. Yeah. Well, let's do it. You know what? I saw uh, Avengers last weekend, Infinity Wars, and that was a major cliffhanger. I saw A Quiet Place, and that was a major cliffhanger. So we're going to do this for our audience, and we're going to say, you know what? That's going to wrap up this episode of Demand Gen Radio, and John and I are going to be back, and we're going to unpack a few more of these topics. He talked about content versus context. He just threw that out there. That We need to have a conversation about that, because as I know, John, who shares his beliefs around that, I think you're going to get a lot from that. And I also think we should talk about um, the modern 
warrior, right? Sales has changed mm-hmm. so much, and the tool sets that they have today are completely different. You and I talked about Alexa and what's happening there and the power of sure. discovery with uh, an app. So you know what? John and I will be back. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. John, thank you. I'll let you get back to your next training and next podcast, but thanks for, thanks for doing part one with me, and we will be back. Awesome, David. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode of Demand Gen Radio. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 